You're listening to. Whoa! Welcome back to Books and Boba, a book club and podcast between books by Asian and Asian American authors. My name is Marvin Yue. And I'm Rira Yu. And it is the end of hashtag Asian August. Um, if you have been living under a rock, it's been, I guess, the biggest month for Asian American representation in the movie theaters. We had like a gajillion movies come out. It was an avalanche yeah. of, of movies. From Darkest Minds to... Uh, Crazy Rich Asians to this weekend, uh, Searching Opens Wide, which is a great thriller starring John Cho. Uh, Rue and I have both watched it. Yeah, and uh, our fellow Potluck podcast, uh, they call us Bruce, they interviewed John Yeah, they Cho. had a great interview with John Cho. You should check it out um, on They Call Us Bruce. You can find out more about that by going to podcastpotluck.com and um, clicking on They Call Us Bruce. Um, but we are not here to talk about movies. Or are we? Or are we? <laughs> <laughs> it's the end of the month, so that means we'll be discussing our August book club pick, uh, which happens to be Crazy Rich Asians by Kevin Kwan, the book that uh, was turned into the hit Hollywood movie that is going to its third week. And chances are good that it's going to be the number one movie three weeks in a row. Yeah, yeah. Granted, I mean, it's August, so it's always been kind of a dead month for movies, but it's we just took over. Yeah. I mean, we took advantage of we it. We might as well. There was an opening. There was a... a um, it's the number eight. I mean, yeah. you're just asking for it <laughs> on a silver platter. Like, they, they had this month that they weren't using. We said, well, we'll take it and we'll make a billion dollars in it. Yeah. So, yeah. But before we get to our book club discussion, I uh, wanted to quickly go over some uh, some recent book news. Some... Uh, we has compiled a list of new publishing news over the month of August. Uh, and since we haven't gone over book news in a while, I wanted to quickly get this out of the way before we get into our book club discussion. So, uh, Rira, why don't you start us off with the first story? All right. Uh, our first story is Paul Wiseman Books bought world rights to Taeun Yu's picture book, The Garden Book. Set in South Korea, the book explores the relationship between a grandfather, grandchild, and their garden, where all living things flourish with love and attention. Publication is slated for 2021. It sounds like it's going to be beautiful. There's a lot of picture books uh, in this list of book deals, by oh. the way. Just heads up. It's a new trend, Asian American picture books. Um, in a four-book deal, Scholastic bought Christina Suntorvat's fantasy chapter book series, Diary of an Ice Princess, in which a young princess, Wind Tamer, must keep her royal status and her power to control the weather, secret from her human classmates. Publication for the first two books in the series is scheduled for summer 2019. Sounds like Frozen. And also Storm from X-Men. And Avatar. So the many last airbender. I'm I'm all for it, by the way. There are, <laughs> those are all things that I think would make a great picture book. Or I guess it's not a picture book, a middle grade series. Uh, Christina Suntornvat also sold her middle grade nonfiction title, All 13, The Incredible Cave Rescue of the Thai Boys Soccer Team. The book draws on Suntornvat's knowledge of Thailand and her expertise in key STEM topics that impacted the crisis and rescue. Publication is scheduled for 2020. Cool. One of many projects that are going to feature that that story. 
The next up, Levine Books at Scholastic bought world rights to John Lau's debut picture book about the limitless possibilities of a child's imagination, following a girl and her unicorn as she makes her own path when others tell her no. Publication is set for 2020. Levine Books also bought Sarah Jung's debut picture book, When Father Comes Home, which is about June's relationship with his father, who, like a goose, flies abroad for long stretches of time. The story is based on the term goose dad, a term that describes Korean fathers who live and work in South Korea in order for their children to receive education in an English-speaking country. Publication is slated for 2021. So is that like reverse parachute kid? Yeah. Yeah, I... I grew up with a lot of uh, classmates who had dads working in South Korea mm. while, like, they were going to, like, high school here. Oh. It's a very common, common thing. Mm. Salam Reads bought world rights to Syra Mir's debut picture book, Muslim Girls Rise. This collection of short biographies introduces young readers to the 19th to 21st century Muslim women whose inspirational work are changing the world. This book will be illustrated by Aliyah Jalil. Publication is planned for 2020. Clarion Books bought Sadia Faruqi and Laura Chauvin's dual narrative contemporary middle grade novel, A Place at the Table. The book features Pakistani-American Sarah Hamid and a mixed-race British uh, named Elizabeth Shanemark, who meet in a South Asian cooking club and discover that both of their mothers are applying for U.S. citizenship. Publication is scheduled for spring 2020. Capstone acquired Bao Fee's second picture book, My Footprints, which will be illustrated by Basia Tran. The story centers on Tui, a Vietnamese-American girl with two mothers who was bullied for being different. On the wintry walk home from school, Tui imagines how various animals might react to being bullied, gaining comfort and courage as she makes each animal's footprints in the snow. Uh, Next story is Little Bee bought Katrina Moore's picture book, Grandpa Grumps which follows Daisy as she meets her Chinese grandfather for the first time and learns to connect with him across cultures and generations. Cindy Yan will be illustrating the book, and publication is slated for spring 2020. Oh, sounds cute. Uh, next up, Two Lions and Amazon acquired husband and wife team Anna Kang and Christopher Wayans' picture book, Hudson and Tallulah, which is about next-door neighbors with opposite worldviews who discover some common ground. And our final story, or I guess final book deal, Razorbill bought Andrea Tang's YA debut novel, Rebel Wing, set in near-future North America divided by culture wars. Her story follows a scholarship student at a prestigious prep school who smuggles black market media. Her life changes drastically when a sentient cybernetic dragon imprints on her as its pilot, forcing her to the forefront of a revolution. Publication is slated for spring 2020. Man, this book sounds awesome. That sounds anime AF. Oh my god. All the anime <laughs> books. Sounds like Evangelion. Or like Escaflone. Escaflone, man. <laughs> Brings me back. And those are the top publishing stories in Asian and Asian American literature. Um, as always, if we did miss any deals that's on your radar, please um, let us know on Goodreads. And we'll, we'll make sure to shout them out in a future episode. Uh, before we move on to our book discussion, I would like to extend cr- congratulations to Jenny Han. Uh, her book, To All the Boys I Loved Before, is back on number one on the New York Times bestsellers list oh, yeah? for uh for children's books, I think. I think that... It beat Harry Potter, by the way. Really? Harry Potter is number two. I mean, Harry Potter is also a really old book. I know, but still. <laughs> it's it's an accomplishment. I feel like Crazy Rich Asians did the same thing right before it's released, yes, too, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. It's good that movies are encouraging people to read again. 
or discouraging them to read? How many people have we met who who said like, "Oh, I'm I, like I watched a movie, so I don't have to read the book." Well, I mean, I say that about Harry Potter, but because there's so many Harry Potter books, I don't have time. I'm busy reading Crazy Rich Asians. How many times have you uh, talked about Crazy Rich Asians, the movie, on separate podcasts? A lot, a lot, a lot right? of times, yeah. But this is the first one where you're going to be talking about the book. Right, because I just finished the book. So before I, had, <laughs> before I had no context, now I have context. So be prepared. This is the most nuanced conversation on Crazy Rich Asians that I will have on a podcast. Or, or just like in general, I feel like everyone's talking about the movie. <laughs> uh, there was a pretty good discussion on uh, another podcast I listened to called Pop Rocket, where there was their uh, oh, nice. summer book club pick. So they, they talked a lot about the book. Um, I have a feeling we're going to be talking about different things, though. Probably. Yeah, because we are, we are an Asian-American book club. So we have you know a very unique perspective on these things. We also have thoughts. Yeah. Lots of thoughts. Um, so this is your official warning. We're about to get into the spicy and juicy deets of Crazy Rich Asians. That means spoilers will be upcoming. So if you haven't read the book... Um, go read the book and then come back and listen. Or if you don't care, just keep listening. It's fine. Um, but as always, we're going to start with the jacket description. Yeah, so we get started. Um, when New Yorker Rachel Chu agrees on a summer in Singapore to visit her boyfriend's traditional Chinese family, she expects the trip to be relaxing, if a little dull. She has no idea. Dot 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 dot. Four dots. Nick's childhood home is a palace. He grew up riding in more private planes than cars. He and Rachel will be attending the wedding of the year. Oh, and Nick just happens to be one of Asia's most eligible bachelors. And his formidable mother isn't so sure Rachel is the right one for him. Dun, dun, dun. So um, this was my second time reading Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, mm-hmm. The first time I read it was back when it first came out in hardcover. That was like 2013? 2012, 2012, I think. Okay. I, th- I think it was 2012. Well, I have to book me check. This book has such thin pages. It's because there's a lot of pages. Uh, it's I a kept, pretty long book. I kept like skipping pages when I'm flipping the page. Um, originally published in 2013. Oh, 2013. Yeah. Maybe that's the paperback copyright i'm not sure maybe i Could be. but but it's close enough 2012 <laughs> 2013 whatever um and this was my second time reading it and i have read it like after the movie had come out okay and i've watched a movie three times so far not the five-time membership of um of a lot of our friends right now i've watched it seven times you've watched it seven times yes. <laughs> that's okay wow and i only paid for two though <laughs> To be fair, to be, I mean, you watched it more than once. I think you've you've contributed to the box office yeah. sales. Um, but Marvin, this was your first time reading the book, and you watched a movie. Before. Yes, I finally read a book of a movie I watched. I think um, Lauren Lola was giving me tons of crap on on the on the forums. Oh, really? Yeah, because I was like, oh, I was, I'm, shots fired. I'm curious to see how the book differs from the movie, and she was like, no, how the movie differs from the book. Chicken and egg, clearly defined. <laughs> so uh, what were your expectations since you uh, watched the movie first? Well, okay. So I hadn't read the book till recently, but I had heard of people reading the book. And I knew that in terms of the people in the Asian American arts community that I hang out with, there was mixed feelings. A lot of people loved it. A lot of people didn't love it. Um, but overall, I knew that... I had a good idea of what the 
strengths and weaknesses of the pros was going to be because a lot of people explained it to me it's like it's very extravagant a lot of name dropping um but inside of that there's a pretty like it's a breezy summer juicy read um so that was my mindset going in because i really love the film as people who have listened to me on other podcasts know that it hit at me in a way that no other movie has in a very long time and i mean i, I watched it seven times but i was into it all seven times which is you know something that not a lot of movies do to me for for me when i read this when it came out in hardcover i remember the excitement over it i remember mm. so many people were were just like finally we get like our own romance novel because that's <laughs> that's what people have been pitching it to me as it's a romance novel is it a romance novel it's a romance novel it's a beach novel like it's not meant to be taken like super seriously you're supposed to have fun with it and uh, for me, um, I went into it thinking that, you know, it wasn't going to represent me, obviously, because I am not I'm not rich. I'm not Singaporean. I'm not Chinese. I'm not Taiwanese. Like, I'm not any of those things. So I went in with pretty much no expectation of myself being represented. Mm-hmm. I think that really worked out because a lot of the anger that was targeted at Crazy Rich Asians was the... Um, I guess, lack of representation for specific Asian groups because it, it was like the first of its kind, really, because it was like the first book where you have an Asian-American character going to Asia. It's, right. It's very, very, it was very rare back then to see an Asian male love interest and to see just kind of like the nuanced uh, differences between like Asian-Americans and yeah, I mean, like I, Asian overseas. I mean, I wasn't, Super like back then we were still pushing like a, a, I was a collaboration at the time we were pushing a lot of indie films that like featured Asian Americans but I wasn't that aware of what was going on in in books because I think um in, even like own voices style of like stories has it's it's only recently that that's been like a big like a big push for it right yeah and it's still very behind uh because I feel like YA and middle grade, like children's publishing, they they are much, much more ahead than mm-hmm. like literary fiction and what you would call adult fiction. Right. I feel like you can read whatever you want. But <laughs> but um, I, I do remember the excitement over it. I do remember um, I remember people being really excited about it. And I remember people even back then saying like this would make a great movie. And I yeah. remember reading it, thinking like this: this is a K drama, like, <laughs> like, like the, the ridiculousness of it all. Like it would translate so well onto screen. Yeah, I remember my friend um, Mindy Chang, who's my co-host for the Clubcast. She read the book um, way before I did, like maybe a year or two ago, uh, before the movie came out. Um, when she learned about you know, how it's going to become a movie, um, I think it was when they were doing the open casting call. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember her like saying that it's too descriptive and she can see like this would all play better as a movie. Yeah, because like one of the weaknesses of the book is how there is so much name dropping because there's like so many fashion brands. Yeah. And it's like like I understand that. Uh, I learned what couture means. Finally. I understand that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like so, so much shade at you. <laughs> I, I understand that rich people are really into fashion, or at least like that top zero point one percent of yeah. really rich Asians. They're really into fashion, but 
in in a movie you can just look at a dress and be like oh okay it's that looks fashion that that looks fashion whereas like in the book it's like why am i reading a page of just like what this person is wearing how many cars they have in their garage what type of flooring they have what type of like like it's it it was very extravagant and decadent but i found myself skipping those parts after a while yeah yeah. i was like i get it they have a bunch of cars that are really nice i mean if you read this book as a satire like Mm. you could you can validate the excessive materialistic prose by saying like oh this is just like how rich people think and it's really annoying i guess yeah (laughs) but like i think i think it's really open to interpretation I mean, like for yeah. for me personally, I was just really annoyed. About I thought that. it was yeah. I thought it was funny that like it all like it at once glorified and also made fun of brands. Like is it name drops all these fancy brands, but it talks crap about like Chanel and Dior's and were like the the um, the Louis Vuitton. Yeah, and, like, like the, the touristy brands, the ones that like. The mainlanders one, and the, it, I don't know. I feel like Kevin Kwan's the thing is mainlanders for some reason. I, I get the distinct feeling. I don't know. Um, I know. I know Kevin Kwan. Um, like he's Singaporean, and yeah. his he comes from a very old money family. Like his grandfather was like one of the first uh, Western trained uh, um, specialists. I'm not. I, I don't remember which which specialty he uh, practiced in, but like oh, he was like a fancy doctor. Yeah, he was he he was like the first Western trained right. uh, Singaporean doctor of that field. Yeah. I just can't remember what field it was, but like he comes from a very old money Singaporean family, and he grew up around other old money uh, Singaporean families. So a lot a lot of his knowledge <laughs> is um, injected into the book, and you can really tell that he knows his stuff. But at the same time, like. It it was just kind of like, mm. I so want to just have this discussion be comparing the movie to the book, but I'm gonna like let's not think about the movie for a while because there's lots. Yeah, we, there. we we can probably talk about it more towards like the yeah. middle of the podcast, but like I do want to get through some of the uh, the plot points in the book first. Yeah, I like, mean, I guess my last thoughts on just how the book was written was I I found myself not being a fan of the prose. And I say that's being not entirely sure what that phrase means, 100%. But just the way that it's written, like, I, f- I don't know. There's something that just I found wanting in yeah. the way he describes things and the way he writes dialogue. And I felt like I got the story and I got the gist of things. But I think the dialogue especially, like, it's not how people talk to each other. A lot of times I feel like he was trying to explain things directly to the reader through dialogue of a character speaking to another character. It was a lot of uh, telling rather than showing, and I yeah. and I hate that phrase like show don't tell because because like I am all f- about like books just telling me what's happening <laughs> and giving me all the adjectives instead of just like sparse prose. But yeah, I, I I do agree with what you're saying about the prose. Like everybody has their personal preferences when it comes to reading books. Yeah. Like for me, for example, I really don't like Stream of Consciousness, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean that it's a bad book. Yeah. But with Kevin Kwan's uh, prose, I did find it kind of stiff. Like, like I don't know, it, it like didn't... I. 
One good thing about his prose is I think Kevin Kwan really has a talent for describing the location. Yeah. Because it does, like, when he would describe, like, how the house looked or, like, the the hawker market, I was like, oh, I can definitely just see it. But, um... But like for for like the the fashion brands, like we already said, it, it seemed a little bit excessive, and like the dialogue, I I do agree with you. It it seemed like you can, like especially with Eleanor and all the other uh, rich aunties, yeah. like I feel like you could just sw- switch their names and like you wouldn't you wouldn't know. I mean, yeah, there there definitely was like an auntie hive mind thing going on where they were all like singularly trying to crush Rachel. Uh, but at the same time, also I distinctly remember the chapter where they introduced Astrid as like this high fashion person through the conversation of these like french aristocrats talking to each other and say did you know that she blah 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 and i kind of like i was like you're like why is this scene necessary yeah or why did why did this have to be a dialogue this could just been like a description and it would have served the same purpose I i can see the the uh reasoning behind behind it because it's like you you get so many asians like trash talking each other it's like yeah. oh they're from mainland they're from taiwan blah 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 but then like from a western perspective it's like oh they're just rich chinese there's yeah. like no difference and that's why like in that scene you have that one like good the baroness fr- yeah, yeah the one good friend of astrid mm-hmm. like he's like explaining to the other aristocrats yeah. like she's not from like new china money she's like she's old money she's from old money and then there's like that exists yeah that's a thing and it's like yeah like chinese people have been around chinese civilization has been around longer than yours so like I, I i definitely think that scene like was sort of necessary to like provide insight but at the same time i didn't like the way it was written i think it was just uh, there was a lot of nudge nudge wink wink in the entire book both in the dialogue and in the prose and i felt like when it was nudge nudge wink wink in the dialogue, that was a little much for me. Yeah, yeah. I was I was really glad that the prologue of the book made it to the movie because yeah, because I was worried about that. I was just like, that is like one of my favorite scenes in this book because <laughs> it's just so badass. Just like being yeah. like, you, you, it's like you're being racist to me. I'm just gonna buy this hotel. <laughs> like I really, really like that scene. But I think the thing that the movie did well. In, in its adaptation is that they made Eleanor the one who is like yeah confronting the ho- hotel clerk because in the book it's it's, it's the aunt it's Felicity yeah it's Felicity who is like a penny pinching yeah. uh, rich Asian which which I found found funny because you find like some of some of these like old money families like yeah. there's like different personalities there's like people who are just like I'm it's like I'm just gonna like pinch all of my pennies together <laughs> and then you have like the younger people who are just like i'm just gonna toss my I money wanted, yeah. yeah i want to like buy I mean, cocaine and we can get, like, talk a about fleet. that because there was definitely a like a different i think this is like an issue even with the new money families in in asia right now in, in china especially right now it's just you have the older generation who um who worked and made the money and you had the younger generation who's like spending the money although in in this specific like in 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 crazy rich asians it's the second generation is also like kind of penny pinching and mm-hmm. um i think what that showed like what i got from that is like this need to flaunt money it's more of like an overall generation thing than a family generational thing mm-hmm. yeah because right? all the characters here 
um, like Nick's family, like Nick and his cousins, they're all essentially what, like third or fourth generation. I think they're even Singapore. further than that. I think it's like yeah. six, seven generations. Like but they go back a way, like way, <laughs> way back. But if they're like 32 and 23, they're like, they are millennials, essentially. They're like older millennials to like mid millennials. And <laughs> millennials live in a very, like, we live in the world of Facebook and Instagram and need to like always show, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I think that made sense that like why like Eddie was so materialistic. Yeah. I was surprised that there was a lack of social media in this book. Because mm. like, I mean, there's like phone calls and whatnot from like Radio One Asia. But yeah. I like, I like, I feel like there should have been like more like cyber stalking yeah cyber stalking and also like uh just like really mean instagram (laughs) like i i felt like it was missing that deviousness of like the really young mean rich people like i expected like way more class in the manipulation than just like throwing a fish in in like the hotel yeah i mean i think that goes maybe maybe kevin kwan is not as social media aware of like how people actually get bullied in these situations um but also it's like 2013 and and they're like much older i mean i feel like the book does a good job of explaining the plot holes a lot of stuff in the movies like exactly why Rachel didn't know anything about Nick because Nick's family is very private yeah, and actually paid private. people to like cover, like not appear in listings or, or magazines. Okay. Let's talk about Nick for a second. <laughs> Cause I am so glad that Henry Golding played Nick because uh-huh. he brought so much charm yeah. to the character. Whereas like in the book, I, I just was screaming at this guy i was like oh my god you're so dense you're like dense as a brick and and just like i i just felt like he was so like (laughs) like he felt like a disney prince to me do you do you understand like you know what i read his voice this is probably like the pros of watching the movie before because i read it in henry golding's voice and it was a lot better for me that way because like i can see why she was charmed right yeah like you're like i don't know what it says about me like you're 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 allowed to be an idiot if you have a nice accent i mean i do like the idea that nick is um you know he he's confident and suave because he like he has all this money and yeah. upbringing that like gives him that confidence. It's like, oh, I don't need to flaunt my money because, yeah, like because I'm like super rich, or like I don't need to prove to anyone that like I'm worthy of their time because I come from this family <laughs> that has been around for many, many generations, and like I don't know, like that did kind of rub me the wrong way because it does give out that message of like, oh, I'm. I'm from a super rich old family, so therefore I yeah. ha- I have like better manners and pedigree. And okay, so in the book, he doesn't even say like give the excuse that oh Rachel's a New Yorker, <laughs> like she can handle this. Like it was like she'll be fine. Our family's awesome, and it's like is your family awesome? He has a lot of blind spots. Yeah. And, like, it's just more frustrating in the book because, yeah. like, it's not even just, like, they, like, like he, he's, like, dense in the beginning. And then once they go to Singapore, like, like 
he like finds out that things aren't going to be as smooth as he thought because in the book it's like he he is like dense all the way through until like Rachel tells him about the bachelorette party. Yeah. And it's just like, how can you not pick up the signs <laughs> that your family doesn't approve of Rachel? That no matter how charming she is, like, they don't consider her as, like, like. Yeah. It's okay. Like, he thinks that his grandmother will approve of Rachel, not knowing that, like, her, the only reason why his grandmother is letting them stay at their place is because she thinks it's a fling. She thinks yeah. it's like nothing serious. And it's just like, are you really not picking up on, on those signals? I mean, he is super, super doofy, I guess. Um, <laughs> and I think it's even worse because in the book, we're, we're given insight into his thought process which is just as like just as doofy, just as like oblivious, right? Yeah. Um, so I do want to talk about like the contrast between like Rachel's mom and Eleanor, like when they find out that they're going to Singapore. Uh huh. Because like, because like Rachel's mom is just like, "You're going to Singapore? Like do like do they live in an apartment? Do they live in a house? Like what are the sleeping arrangements? Like this is really important uh-huh. and." And, like, her mom is, like, dead set on Nick is going to propose to you because that's how this culture works. You don't yeah. bring you don't bring a girl home in order for them to, like, just have a vacation. It's right. never like that. And I love how that's juxtaposed with Alistair's uh, mini story with Kitty Pong. Yeah. Right? Because, like, he's adamant to bring her to the wedding. Everyone's like, you don't – do you realize what that means? Like, what, what message that will send? And it's, it's the exact message that he's going for because he shows up at that wedding being like, oh, we're engaged. Yeah. Like, so you, you get the the differences because, right. like, Nick is, Nick's original plan is just like, oh, it's going to be, like, a fantastic summer vacation. He yeah. has, like, no intention of proposing to Rachel until, <laughs> like, after uh, Colin and Araminta's wedding. Yeah. Whereas, like, I feel like in the movie it was, like, very, like – like dead set on yeah. him and being like, oh, I'm bringing her home. This is the statement. Yeah, yeah this is the statement, which um, made more sense. Yeah. I want to really quickly say, I really liked Alistair more in the book than the movie. Oh, yeah, definitely. Because he was like a sweet boy in the in the book. It's like sweet, oblivious boy. <laughs> I actually really liked, um, this might be an unpopular opinion, but I really liked Eddie as a character. As a character, yes. Yeah, as, as a, a person. character. As a person, no. I would I would slap him, like, slap him around, be like, oh, my God, like, get away from my face. So, yeah, I think this is the, like, like I've mentioned before, the downfall of, like, the negatives I'd watch the movie first. Because, like, I could not separate Eddie, the character in the book, and Ronnie Chang's portrayal of him. But I think Ronnie did such a great portrayal of him that, like, actually enhanced the the, the comedy of those segments for me. Yeah. I, like, I remember when I read the first book, I just, like, Eddie was one of my favorite characters because he was... <laughs> he was so I, bad. Because he was so bad. He was... <laughs> I was like, man, this guy is insufferable. Like, he, like, he's, like, super misogynistic. Like, his poor wife, like, he dictates what she wears and, like, how his children have to behave. It's, well, like, the very typical, like, I am the... <laughs> I am the Asian male like I am like the patriarch of this family and you need to be subservient to me which is a very toxic idea yeah. but but because like the way he 
like wielded that toxic personality it was just so funny not even that but like he's the like he is like if there is the proof of this is satire he is the he satire is because he is you no know, petulant he blames everyone else for his problems he takes credit for every any everyone else's like um like he takes credit for like things that weren't his like he was yelling at his wife to change her dress because it looks drab and who would want to, who would want that like it's not fashion and then the photographer came and says that is like the it look for the season and he's like oh it's my idea yeah like she's like he's just like why aren't you wearing like your big shiny jewelries and she's like well like these jewelries like this is like for for next season yeah. like it's not even out yet and and then like as soon as the photographer comes in he's yeah. like oh like go change into those lovely emerald earrings that you were going to put on and it's just, like i just loved eddie because he was just over the top and you're not like you're not meant to like him which <laughs> makes him so likable as a reader whereas like i feel like with the other um other people in 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 the young and the shang and the sien's is that Sien, yeah. sien's Sien, family yeah. like they weren't as petulant enough for me like i feel like oh the I aunties fe- are I, pretty petulant i feel like for it to like really push the satire they like kevin kwan should have like made it even more ridiculous because like when i was reading it i'm like this this is just like you know this is just dragon moms like i i feel like in order for it to be more ridiculous it, it well there was that one higher. scene where they were like they had got like a hot stock tip and started like calling their brokers i mean that part was funny like <laughs> I, I i would admit that that was funny um but you were talking about the reactions of the moms yeah yeah <laughs> i i mean with like with eleanor like i I, thought, I don't know. Like, I, I did not like her in the book, to be honest. I didn't, like, I feel like, yeah, like, her in the book. She seemed so paranoid and hysterical and. It was very one-dimensional, too. It wasn't very, like, I guess there was an attempt at adding some nuance or some, like, like some empathy to her character towards the end. But it, it just didn't feel earned, I guess. I feel, okay, okay, like, the thing is, like, there are dragon moms, there are mothers who are very controlling of their children, who yeah. are very nosy, and, you know, but ultimately, I think it does come from a place of love. It's, it's like, you want the best for your child, yeah. and you want them, like, you think that them marrying for love is, you know, it's unstable. I it's, think, yeah, I think that was the thing. I didn't feel that from Eleanor's character. No, no, she was, Everything was about herself and her, like image and her her plans right yeah and there are parents like that but i feel like there were just so many of those in in the book like i feel like like eleanor should have been the one character who's just like i am doing this because i am actually worried about you yeah like i don't want you to you know be isolated from your family like this is who you are and i just felt like that was missing from the book like she could have been the one to tell him that like your grandma definitely does not approve. Yeah. You know, like it was just from the very first moment you meet her when she's like, Oh gosh, he's bringing by Taiwanese. That's what, but when they still thought she was of the Taiwanese choose. Yeah. Right. Like it was just like this. I'm not sure if I like this character. I, I, I'm I like, I'm not sure if I'm getting the right vibes that this character should be giving. I mean, the thing right? is like, it doesn't help that in the book you get 
like you get her inner monologue yeah so you like like when she meets rachel for the first time she's like why why is she giving me giving me this orange like as if you know as if she's like a mainland uh chinese person and like she she's like constantly like criticizing rachel in her in her mind she's like oh why is she wearing that designer dress like oh she must be like she she must be a gold digger like i feel she afford these things she's spending nick's money Yeah, yeah yeah so it's like you get her inner monologue and it's just like i i don't see any sympathy like i i don't see any reason to empathize with eleanor because yeah. of that and because everything just seems so petty yeah and as a woman who you know i mean there there are definitely people who are of like the top one percent who yeah. are snooty as hell but i feel like with eleanor like she should have been you know, because she comes from a family that's like super private and mm-hmm. and whatnot, like I feel like she should have been like more dignified, <laughs> in, more dignified in her thoughts and and like how she reacts to things. But yeah, uh, and it's it's either like she needed to be more dignified or she needed to be like straight up really ridiculous. Like yeah. she should have like come up with more plans to stop Nick from. Um, from going from proposing to rachel yeah and they barely interact in the book yeah because she goes to china she goes to china for half the book she barely talks to her son except for that one like breakfast scene the potential for drama was there between both her and rachel and her and her son like her being more upfront or dramatic or more like i like, like I her th- story was like this is my secret plan to break them up and it's very like I get that it's very like I guess Austin-y where it's like high society like you have to like play the game mm-hmm. to like make things you have to play the mahjong game yeah <laughs> well there wasn't even any mahjong uh, but yeah you have to play the play the politics so that things happen but you don't get blamed for it okay see right? like I, I don't come from a rich family but even my family has <laughs> like it's like you need to you need to play the game to yeah. get what you want I feel like every Asian family has has that game mindset and I didn't and like for rich people they should have like magnetized that by like 20 yeah. <laughs> like, the game was pretty basic that they were playing <laughs> like I expected at least a confrontation scene where like she is with Rachel like Eleanor is with Rachel Rachel, and she's like how much like yeah. how much money <laughs> can i give you to like yeah or like i just feel like it was it was missing that like one-on-one scene because i don't think there was a one-on-one scene with no. eleanor and rachel except for the except for the confrontation scene with like the the grandmother yeah, there. yeah but that's just the thing like rachel in this book is such a passive character like things just kept keep happening to her and even in the end she is saved She's saved by Nick's by, money. Yeah. Nick's money <laughs> solves everything. It like see that was that was okay, we're jumping to the ending, but when when I was reading this when the hardcover came out, I didn't know like the second book has hadn't come out yet. It was announced, but I, I didn't know like what was gonna happen. And I reached the end and I was like, wait, that can't be the ending. So I like went back and I was like I was like, they're just in a bar. There's like no resolution with like Eleanor. There's um, yeah. and like, like Rachel's just like, you are from a different, you're from a different world. We can never reconcile, whatever. But then Nick brings Rachel's mother from 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 uh, Cupertino, and it's just like the reason why Rachel doesn't go t- to meet who she thinks is her father, her fake dad, yeah, her fake her dad, crime dad, 
is because Nick had enough money to to like fly Rachel's mom over. And it's like like if if this is supposed to be a satire about like rich people and how like money is is money is terrible pretty much. Like if yeah. that if that was the message then then like that ending just it, it doesn't fit. <laughs> it doesn't fit in with like the the morality that that should have been the. T- what was the theme? Of yeah, this, this book? brings me to my my thing. Like what? Because like, um, talk about the movie. It very clearly you can see what the themes are. Right? It's you know, Asian versus Asian American identity, Western exceptionalism versus Eastern collectivism. Like, like the different values clashing. Like I didn't like the book is. I mean, to me, it was it was fun to read about how, like, take a glimpse in the lives of the uber rich. But in terms of like what what we're supposed to be taking out of this, I guess that's why people uh, pitch it as a breezy summer read because it's just you know it's just like a soap opera. You just read through it, and I don't know if the book is going to stick with me as much as the movie did. No, no, I I think I think my main issue with the book and like the ending is definitely at the <laughs> top of of like the list. But for me, like when I watch soap operas, when I watch K dramas. Um, like things things just bubble up to to like a boiling point and mm-hmm. it just explodes and you think how are they going to fix this and and it there is like some like resolution and that resolution is earned mm-hmm. whereas like with crazy rich Asians, the book i just felt like i never reached that like i it never really bubbled over like it just felt like it was like simmering at the yeah. same level like i felt like there was really not that much build up to to like to the scene where like uh where the grandmother and Eleanor confront Nick and stops him from proposing to Rachel. I like like it just seemed very mm, like there was build up but I just felt like it wasn't big enough. Yeah. No, I I I get what you're saying. Yeah. I definitely felt like the last act was kind of it just it deflated. Didn't, it, it didn't end on a note that where I was like, okay, we're like I have to read the next book. Right. I mean, I did I read the to, uh, I did read the next book. Like, <laughs> I read China Rich Girlfriend because I I was so curious what was going to happen like to this couple because it it was just like, well, like Eleanor doesn't approve, his grandmother doesn't mm. approve. Nick is like, I'm I'm just not going to use any of my family's money. We're just going to live our lives in New York. And I'm like, that's there's no way that his family is just going to let that go. <laughs> so I read the second book and it was even more frustrating because I didn't get the answers that I wanted. Um, we can talk about the second book maybe <laughs> in the future. Um, let's go back to... Okay, so... I know I know one... Um, so like, it seems, it seems to me that the general public's uh, favorite character... Happens to be Astrid yeah. and not Rachel. Well, because Astrid's story seems like it has so much more stakes than Rachel's story. If I if I'm perfectly honest, like Astrid actually had to, like her character changes, right? As opposed to Rachel, who kind of largely stays the same. I feel like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like it could also be the fact that Astrid is married, and there is this image of like. Yeah. Of having a perfect family. And if she does divorce Michael, there's like a lot of consequences to that. I guess that's the thing. Like, I, I feel like Astrid's story, while maybe the most interesting plot thread in the book, is, and this is again comparing to the movie. No, like, this I is inevitable. I liked her character more in the movie than in the 
book, even though we know more about the situation in the book. See, I have, I have uh, negatives for both portrayals of Astrid in both the book and in the movie. In the movie, I think Astrid is portrayed as too perfect. <laughs> um, because like in the beginning of the movie, it's like, it's like, oh, Astrid graduated at the top of her class. And she's like, you know, the nicest, most kind-hearted person in the world. Whereas in the book, I kind of like, I kind of like the fact that she was an absent mother. Mm. Like, she's like, oh, she's, you know, she loves her kid, obviously, but she's also one of those moms who, like, leaves her kid with the nanny and, like, flies to Paris for, like, half the year. Yeah, and I I like that her relationship with Michael was more, like, explained, like, Michael's frustrations. Um, I'm not sure how I feel about the whole fake affair thing. That seems a little too, like, it's very soap opera-y to me. (laughs) I felt like the fake affair thing was was just too much. Like it convoluted the entire storyline, yeah. I think. I'm really glad that they cut Charlie Wu from the movie because I feel like that just would have been way too yeah. much. Especially I mean, with especially with what's going on in the book cuz it's <laughs> like Char- Charlie Wu is like actively trying I mean, he, he literally he's still in love with her. He's still in love with yeah. Astrid, but he's like actively trying to um have Astrid like retain her marriage like mm-hmm. he wants her to have a happy marriage with michael and that's like, why in the end he like buys up his company and i mean there's something to be said there about like face saving i guess and like him him like that's kind of the the rachel story that i was missing was like the he was willing to sacrifice his happiness for hers mm-hmm. and to save her face right which is very chinese you know very asian i i will say that I got a general sense that the male characters in this book were a lot stronger than the female characters, aside from maybe like Astrid, because I feel like I felt like Astrid was layered enough for me to get through the book. Mm-hmm. Whereas like the guys, like I like, mean, I felt like they were better written, and like it, for the obvious reason that Kevin Kwan is a guy. <laughs> I mean, you can definitely tell that the movie was co-written by a woman too, right? Like I feel like with the guys, like they. Like, I could understand where they were coming from. I can mm. understand their insecurities. Yeah. And I can understand, like, this pressure to to um, live up to the family name and also, yeah. like, their own ambitions and not feeling like <laughs> they'll ever reach the reach the uh, holy grail of, of right. being the top 1%. Like, with Michael, like, I totally got that he was frustrated being a part of this world that he had no interest in. He never wanted to be... A part of the uber elite his in-laws treat him like crap like they treat him as an it guy like they don't understand what he does and like his description of like not understanding what he was getting into when he married her was totally like glossed uh, over but like i mean totally i understand that but it was glossed over by the fact that he was assumed to be adulterer the entire book yeah which like it it turns this like kind of more sympathetic, flawed, like but like struggling guy into like into an antagonist, which I feel like it would have been stronger if they just didn't have the fake affair. It was just the simmering like Yeah, kind it of was resentment. just like the struggle yeah. Yeah, and like the resentment. And it would have been nice if Michael had a scene with Rachel because they're they they're both coming from yeah. like the same place. And I really <laughs> like I really wish that there was a chapter where like he sees Rachel struggling and he tells her like get out while you can because <laughs> this is like 
you think you can handle it, but you can't. Like, I felt like that would have been a more powerful. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and <laughs> it's funny because there are there's two mirrors to Rachel in this story. Right? There's Michael, who is someone who's already in and in too deep. And then there's Kitty, who is literally what everyone fears Rachel is. Rachel is. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, I really, really liked uh, Kitty as well. You just like all the, all the terrible I, people. I really <laughs> like. Okay, the thing is, like, I am all for flawed characters, but like, flawed characters have to be written in a way where the writing isn't flawed. Do, mm-hmm. you, do you understand what I mean? Like, it yeah. means, like, even terrible people. Like, you need to understand their mindset. You need to understand, like, their ambitions, their flaws. And I just felt like Eddie and Kitty, like, you knew exactly who they were. <laughs> and there, there is, like, I don't know, that like, there is, like, such an ease to the way that Kevin Kwan wrote those characters. Yeah. Whereas, like, with all the other characters that are supposed to be, like, sympathetic, empathetic, like, I, I, I felt like it didn't quite get me to like them enough right. or hate them enough. <laughs> Because honestly, I should have hated Eleanor by the way that she was portrayed in this book. Because yeah. she is petty, she is invading her son and Rachel's um, privacy. She's she's almost like really hysterical in yeah. in the way that she goes about like trying to um, like rip trying them to up. well not rip them up, but like trying to dig for dirt on Rachel. Because right. I don't think she tries hard enough to rip those two uh, lovers apart and well he thinks like they think and again it goes back to them having like pretty basic plans for like supposed like rich schemers right yeah like the rich the mean girls plot to like break them up is to tell Rachel that oh we we had a three way when we were kids yeah I, I guess that is a plan that Eleanor had like she tried to like throw uh, her, his exes at her right yeah, but I felt like she should have coached those girls more. <laughs> like I felt like those girls like didn't do enough to to mm. create enough damage. I've met some really manipulative people in my life and <laughs> like and it's just like, man, like should have gotten like way dirtier. Like <laughs> I want I want it like like I felt like the claws came out. But like no one, no one like lunged. <laughs> like, like I wanted, I wanted to see blood in this book, and I didn't get it. Yeah, I mean, one thing I did like about the book was just how we got to spend more times with the characters, like the whole cast. Because there's a lot of characters in this book. A whole like, there's a whole family tree in like the beginning of the book. Yeah, and you meet almost every single one of those, including Nick's dad, who makes doesn't make an appearance in the movie. But I loved Nick's dad, by the way. <laughs> I just like loved his like he's just so tired of yeah. like high society. He's like I'm I just want to fish in Sydney. Like that yeah. that's all I want in my life. And I just I just loved how how he's just like blasé about everything. He's <laughs> just like it's like Rachel's fine. She's a good girl. Yeah. Whatevs. I don't. Un- I don't understand why you're like going, like why you're going through all of this, uh, this crap for her. But it is true. The guys all seem to be pretty chill, while the girls are written as very, very catty. Yeah. Very. Uh, I I don't know how to say this in like a nice way, but like it really the female characters seemed so flat to me, mm. and it seemed like they were so obsessed with men and money and it's just like i wish like like like, the one character i i felt like didn't revolve around men and money was sophie mm. and like i i liked sophie right away but 
there was so little of her. Yeah, so she is Colin's sister, right? Yes. And Astrid's cousin, who takes like who's there to like take care of Rachel during that basketball party. Yeah, and like and she, she's, she's like a doctor. A, like, she's, she's a surgeon, surgeon right? Yeah. yeah, she's a surgeon. She's a tomboy. Like she doesn't wear any makeup. I mean, and, if anything, this this book kind of glorifies the medical profession because all the doctors seem to be pretty cool people. Yeah, like yeah. there's the good grandfather James Young, who you know was part of the underground during the World War II. There's Eddie's dad, who is just he just wants to, you know, play tennis and you know have people drive him around. I, I did like the fact where. Like when they're explaining how how like the top one percent works, it's like, oh, when you're growing up, like these are the three schools that yeah. you are supposed to go to. Like you're supposed to go to Bible study. You're supposed to have tutors come and train you in every subject. You have to learn at least like three instruments for <laughs> for college. And um, if if you are really smart, you go to the national university in in Singapore. If yeah. you aren't good enough for that you go to oxford or cambridge and if you're not good enough for that you go to an american college you go to australia yeah or you go to australia and then you go to american college and and like and even american college is like stanford isn't good enough turner knows up on stanford like dude And, and like um and then like for the girls like you it's like you go through there 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 are three professions that are acceptable medicine Law and if you're like really dumb, business. And I thought that was so funny because I'm like business being yeah. like the the quote unquote like not good enough field. Like you you weren't smart enough. Whatever. I mean that's there's the joke running that like you know economics is the the most basic bachelor's degree you can get while keeping your Asian parents happy. <laughs> it's because it has to do yeah. with business. I mean Rachel has a PhD and yeah. it's like not good enough for for the parents and like that was pretty funny. Um, but yeah, like one of the main complaints I've heard about the book and also the movie was the lack of representation of South Asians and Southeast Mm. Asians and how, um, how like the, how like the top 1%, like they are the top 1% because they abuse their power on these minority groups in Singapore. And, like, for the movie, I can excuse it because it is a movie. There's such, like, limited time. It, it's, very, it's very narrow slice of, of society. But you also brought up a really important point when we were talking about this before we recorded where there were opportunities to insert powerful brown people. Yeah, because they freaking exist. Yeah. Like, in the, like, in the book. S- there are sultanas. There are, like, Thai princes. There are, like maharaja yeah like they're, like they're in the Colin, book like colin and nick's like college buddy from oxford is a turkish aristocrat yeah right and like in in the book they like you see um like really rich powerful like like indians and thais and malaysians like you see them at like these functions but you also see maids and nannies who are like filipinos um um, Indonesians and also like you see like French maids and yeah. whatnot and like I like I wish there was a little bit more of that power play in the book but like it was it, it was enough for me to like get the I guess like the darker side to to this I think this is something if this wasn't a mo- if this book became a TV series instead of movie we would have had more space to like discuss those things I feel like yeah yeah because yeah. like the whole reason why like like Singapore had this like real estate boom is because there is like 
there isn't like fair wage amongst the workers who do the construction and most likely they they are uh they are people who are from the philippines and like more like f- from like more minority groups yeah. in in singapore and like you catch glimpses of that like catch glimpses of classism colorism but it, it really wasn't the right book to explore it because it's a breezy yeah, read. There's definitely a lot of, especially like through the Michael character, they could have like, they could have explained, like Singapore has a really crazy housing system. So I did a study trip to Singapore when I was in business school. Like we did a tour, we you know went to like um, of both government and business offices. And the way they do housing is basically every person gets a one-time like mortgage loan from the government to subsidize a house. So like, and each building, like each housing complex is, they control the percentage of the demographics, right? Like each building has to be X percent Chinese, X percent Malay, X percent Indian, X percent the other, mm-hmm. right? And that is to make sure that there are no enclaves. Um, but it's just like, because it is an autocratic government, there's a lot of control. There's a lot of like things that are intriguing effed up and like could have been covered if this was a book about class yeah and like right? uh, and like also like rachel is an economics professor like <laughs> i felt like she should have known more about singapore oh definitely i felt like she like i mean we are seeing singapore through her eyes mm-hmm. but i just felt like she should have known more as an economics or she should have like she should have like, asked more questions asked more questions or wanted to be like Oh, I want to go check out the banks. I want to go check out like the financial centers and like yeah, or you know, like really or, like, go to university. She's a professor, so she, she has a PhD in this stuff. Like, I mean, here's really, the thing, like, like she has a PhD, but she's probably still like a junior professor. Well, I mean, the movie she said they said she was tenured. Yeah, she's tenured. But like most professors, especially that young, don't have a whole summer okay. to spend. <laughs> no, but it, it ex- it's explained in the book, though. Like, mm. they taught throughout other breaks. Right. So that's how they got, like, that 10-week okay. break. Whereas, like, in the movie, you're just like, there's no way that professors can take Let's, 10 weeks off. Of, well, like, well, in the movie, they, it's spring break. Yeah, there's no way that yeah. that would happen. Like, <laughs> no way. And, like, it's really... It's really funny because I graduated from NYU and I was just like, there's no way a professor that young could get tenure. <laughs> like I like I have professors who are like in their 50s who were still aiming for tenure. <laughs> She's like, that good, which but yeah, I, I did find so <laughs> I definitely thought it was funny um, that um, so there's a scene where the Shaw patriarch wakes up from a six year coma and like gets mad at everyone for being so like extravagant. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> And he said that um, his granddaughter Nadine, who is one of the mean girls, like she looks like a prostitute from Geelong, which um, it was. It wasn't Nadine. It was uh, oh Francesca. 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 Yeah. Um, And then um, basically, I have an interesting story about that area because um, for some reason, when I went on my aforementioned school trip, the school booked us in the hotel right on that district. Every night to walk to public transit to go to wherever we wanted to go, we had to walk through the red light district. Oh, that's yeah, yeah. that's pretty funny. <laughs> it's the part of Singapore they don't want you to see the government. Yeah. Okay. We were we were talking about like what is the theme yeah. of this book, and I I mean I, I guess like another theme is like marriages within within like rich families and yeah. the price that they have to pay in order to be in in that 
class and like yeah. how much pressure there is to to be perfect and and please your parents and to continue this legacy i think that <laughs> that is the theme in this book yeah and, and we've seen these themes in other western fiction too i mean a lot of Jane Austen mm-hmm. is about that. A lot of uh, like Downton Abbey is pretty much that. Right? Oh yeah, this is like the like <laughs> th- this is like the Singaporean Downton Abbey. Only like add, add in like a couple of soap opera yeah. tropes into it, and and you get Crazy Rich Asians. <laughs> I I thought it was really funny how like when when the when the Singaporean high society they learn that Nick is bringing a girl to the wedding, mm-hmm. they're just like. Oh, is she, like is she a Taiwanese tornado? Is he is she gonna just suck him dry of, yeah. of, of like his funds? And then they're like, oh no, she's an American-born Chinese. Like, oh, like how like everyone knows that ABCs are are like Chinese peasants who fled because yeah. like they couldn't make a fortune, and they're like pretty much second-generation pe- peasants. Like that's the mindset of these people who. Like you know, who are expecting Rachel to come to that part kind of hurt me a little bit. <laughs> well, yeah, honest. it's yeah. supposed to. Be, it's supposed to be like disgusting, and yeah. and then they find out that she's from. She was born in mainland China, which is like the worst possible Chinese. They're just like, oh, she's she was born in mainland China. She's not. She's not even American. And I thought that was really like. I thought that was really funny because because that's yeah because like they are pretty much putting labels on Rachel. They are dictating. If she's Asian enough, if she's like good yeah. enough, and there's a hierarchy of like okay, there's a hierarchy of Asians. Like Taiwanese better than ABC apparently, better than mainland China, um, but not as good as. <laughs> and also, it's like she's American. It's yeah. not like she's from England or <laughs> or Australia. Yeah. Although there were like there was like a comment about Australians in, being, in the book, yeah, being descended from criminals. It's, I think, yeah. I mean, they're just written to be the worst, and but not like in a lovable way, like Eddie. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like I was saying, like you need to write characters in a way where yeah they are flawed, but but like you understand where they're coming. from. Yeah, when from. it comes from like the aunties and from Eleanor's mouth, it just just seems mean. Like just petty for like no real reason except for you being snooty and snobby. I feel like it's not even like like if someone said that to me in real life, it would really hurt. Yeah, because I know it's coming from like an actual person, but like in the book when I was reading all of the <laughs> all of these insults, I was like, who who the fuck cares? Like this like these ladies are super shallow anyway. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like why would you care about their opinions? As 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 a Chinese person, like I did recognize the stereotypes that they were, they were giving like different Chinese people. And then there was a part where they were saying like they knew that Kitty Pong wasn't actually Taiwanese because yeah, her she's accent. From, like, a different... She's from Northern China, which has like a harsher accent and then but not a cutesy one like Taiwanese. Like, yeah, our accent's kind of cutesy. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> like Taiwanese, like Taiwanese Mandarin is kind of like the valley accent of Mandarin. For those of you who didn't know. Um, okay, like, going back to just the way he writes female characters, um, that reminds me of just, like, I guess the chapter that I dislike the most. Oh, my God. I know which chapter you're talking about, <laughs> but go right ahead. Just the one where Rachel, ex- like, describes how Nick was the first Asian guy she ever actually liked. 
I lost my shit when I read that <laughs> chat. I like completely forgot about it、um, the second time I read it because, like, in the first time I read it, I feel like I like it didn't just stay with me.、Mm-hmm. And then, I think I think the reason why it didn't stick with me was back. It was like back in 2013. Yeah, and、um, I had just moved to LA, and in New York, I never really faced that kind of like. That that entitlement of misogynistic, toxic Asian men. I I felt like I never really encountered that before.、Yeah. Like, I mean, I've I've encountered it, but like not like not so much. But like once, not in I, a very like concentrated, intense way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then and then I, you know I moved to LA, and there's like m- there's a much more concentrated Asian American population here. Yeah, and like it it was a culture shock. Like I didn't think that there was so much. Um, like so much vile, <laughs> vile mean, opinions、yeah. about Asian women dating dating white men. I mean, there's so what I got out of that was these past few years we've been exposed to a lot more internet discourse and more understanding of what the arguments are on this specific topic. And reading that chapter, it was like the author was making Rachel be one of those girls, quote unquote. Right, that like that the internet hates. Yeah, like the Asian girl who says, "Oh, I don't date date Asian guys." Yeah, because they're not good enough, or they're like. I mean, her specific reason was because they judge me.、Mm-hmm. Right, which I think is is a valid point, but at the same time, like like other Asian women I've met who've said, "Oh, I don't a- date Asian guys," they have been like super shallow, and it's always been about like. Like looks or whatnot,、mm-hmm. but but like like the way he wrote Rachel's prejudice against Asian guys, it really rubbed me the wrong way. Because I feel like like a like a normal person wouldn't be like, oh, I've had bad experiences with、uh, with Asian guys, so I'm going to write them all off as like terrible people. Yeah, like that rarely happens. One of her examples was, oh, I've dated like an Asian banking bro. It's like, well, you dated a banking bro. Yeah, it has nothing to do <laughs> with the fact that he's Asian. I mean, like maybe a little bit, but at the same time, like, yeah, like, like as an Asian woman, I've definitely been like in that position where an Asian guy is like judging me, like scanning me from head to toe,、mm-hmm. like seeing like how much I'm worth. And like seeing like and trying to and and when they talk to me, it's like oh like which family are you from? Like are you rich? Like there's a lot more.、Uh, Where did in- you meet these guys? I feel like I feel like I haven't I don't know people like that here, but maybe that's、sure. just my blind spot being a dude who never has to like go through that. I've like I've met these people from from like childhood to like my adult life, my my twenties.、Mm. When I was younger, it was mostly because like my parents wanted. To set me up,、right. and、um, you know, like my family isn't rich, but I've gone to like a lot of business dinners for my dad, and it's always it's like a political type, yeah, of, like, like a political、yeah. type of thing. Same thing with weddings, like like for the longest time, I hated going to Asian weddings because、mm. it was just a lot of grilling. It was like the the like what school you went to, what's your major? Yeah, it is like, like the best place to set your children up. So <laughs> <laughs> I kid you not. So. Like so, they ask you like, oh, like what, like what school did you go to? Like, what's your major? Actually, they don't even ask that until they ask me like, oh, what schools did your parents go to? Really? Yeah, yeah, and like, 
Of course, like with my mother and father, they like went to really, really nice schools in Korea. <laughs> so it's like immediately they they jump on it and right. they're like, "What school did you go to? And what's your major? And like, do you? It's like, what car does your father drive? And yeah, and you really get like those shitty people in the mix mm-hmm. when you when you go to like political settings like that. But honestly, like. Most people aren't like that. Like just, it's a very specific subgroup of people. Yeah, and I feel like her character, like he characterized her as growing up, like she grew up, like she spent high school and her adolescence in Curbertino, which is like those schools are eighty percent Asian. Like you meet Asians of all sorts in those schools. She like, also lived in eleven different states. Yeah, like she probably met like a whole, like. Like, very, very different breeds yeah. of Asians. I think he was getting his Asian stereotypes mixed up because, like, if she was someone who grew up in, like, let's say, Indiana, with, where there were no Asians at all, and she grew up being the only Asian around, then, like, I can buy that character as just a little, a little bit more than, like, someone who grew up in a very diverse area, like, in the very, like, open childhood, right? I, and I feel like, I mean, it also depends on, like, what neighborhood you lived in because there are yeah. definitely, like, neighborhoods where there are children of immigrants and mm. and they're not so much about, like, status and money. It's, yeah. it's mostly about, I mean, at most, it's like, what school did you go to? What's your occupation? Yeah. And it's mostly about, like, it's about then, it's like, oh, can this person provide for my daughter's future or, like, my son's? Right. Like, can they can they, like... Can they raise the children without like any conflicts? Yeah. I mean, I feel like Asian, like the, the whole like Asian marriage and like raising children, it it's rooted in a lot of yeah. of like patriarchy, and you see that in the book. Like you see how Eddie treats mm-hmm. Fiona. You see how like how like marriages and decisions are made by men in the family, and mm-hmm. how women are expected to fall in line, fall in line yeah. to give up their careers after like three years of practice and. And, like, that is, like, the filial thing to do. And and it's just, like, yeah, that that's true in a sense. But at the same time, like... Yeah. Like... That actually may be, like, kind of not like her as a character. Oh, no. I immediately disliked Rachel after I read that scene. Yeah. Like, in my second read. I was like, oh, all, all sympathy for this character is gone. <laughs> it is completely gone. And it, I don't like the narrative of of, like... Nick being the exception. Mm. It's like, oh, like, this is the kind of Asian guy you should date. Or like, or just like, oh, you haven't met the right Asian guy yet to mm-hmm. change your mind. And it's like, it's just like such a... It's a little lazy. It's a gross way yeah. of of like having, I don't know, it just it just read as gross to me. And there there were a couple of language issues in the book that rubbed me the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Like, I know the title is Crazy Rich Asians. And to me, like, I read it as, like, extremely rich Asians. Like, crazy is yeah. the word, for, is the replacement word for extreme. And, but at the same time, like, it has, like, that tone of, like, oh, like, really ridiculous, um, ridiculously. I mean, I'm sure that's what he was going for, too, I, like the, the double meaning. Um, but I, I don't like the way that the word crazy is used. Um, used to describe like ridiculous people mm. because because like the word crazy it like I I think it's a little bit ableist because it's like a derogatory tor- derogatory term I for a little bit. I think it, it is for, yeah. for like mentally ill people and it wasn't just the word crazy 
which showed up a lot in the book. I was like, okay, like how many times Mm -hmm. am I going to read the word crazy? Like when people are yelling at each other saying Mm -hmm. like, you're crazy. Like I felt like it was repetitive first off. And also like I didn't like the way that they they described. um, There's this one line where Rachel says, Oh, like, oh, I moved around a lot when I was a kid. We were like gypsies. And I'm like, <laughs> that's a racial slur. You shouldn't be using that. And and also, like, there's another line where it, you you read from Eddie's perspective. And he's like, oh, like, I have this watch, but it isn't this brand. I have yeah. this yacht, but it it can only, like, fit 10 people for brunch. I don't have a mirror in my closet. <laughs> yeah. And then it goes to his kids, right? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, his kids are well-behaved, well-educated, right. photogenic. And then in parentheses, he says, oh, but isn't the youngest child a Is bit he... autistic? Yeah. And, and like, I, like, I, that rubbed me the wrong way, like the wrongest way possible because both of my brothers are autistic. My boyfriend is autistic. (laughs) And it's like, that's just not how you describe people. And it's not like his son has been diagnosed with autism either. So it just felt like it was wrong. Do you think it was in character though? It See, that's why I I could let it slide a little. Yeah. But like, I just felt like it, it was unnecessary. It's more on the author, I feel like, than... I also don't like the word, like, OCD, like, that was used to. <laughs> like, like I think Eddie does have OCD just by, like... His mannerisms. His mannerisms, yeah. the way he thinks, and how many steps ahead he is. The way with, he focuses on, like, a single yeah, but then, but then, like, yeah. there, there's a line where Rachel describes Nick as OCD. It's like, oh, you have OCD habits. And I'm like, don't, don't use OCD in, like, a casual way... <laughs> Like I said, I had some minor issues with some of the language in this book, and I felt like it should have there's the editor should have called out on on some of them. But like it wasn't, it didn't necessarily add to the story, right? Or it, it really it, it startled me from the story. It really mm. distracted me. Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's that's the way I felt about that that chapter. I was that I chapter with, yeah, with the was, Asian guy. It just took me out of it. I was like, mm. and I was just like, it doesn't really fit in with the character. I don't think it's really a commentary on Asian American culture, to be honest. Yeah. Like. Yeah. I, I don't know if it was like, <laughs> was it projection or was it like, I don't know. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure there are Asian girls who think that way, yeah. but I just, I just felt like it was not in character for Rachel. And yeah. like, if you were going to give that kind of prejudice to someone, it should have gone to someone who is more unlikable or, yeah. or something. I don't know. It's just, like yeah i we've we've been like criticizing the, this book nonstop, <laughs> but i like i guess like good things like overall good things about the book i liked how you have so many asian men like mm-hmm. how rare is that? i like how the i mean so many asian characters in, in general period, yeah right? like and then you have like variety of like where they're from mm-hmm. and it's and it's set in Singapore. It's not really a country that a lot of people know about. Yeah. A lot of people know about China and Japan, but Singapore is like one of those like smaller Asian countries that they've only heard about like the chewing gum law. Yeah, from. you only think about how it literally is the financial capital of the Southeast Asia. Yeah, and like you and and through the exposition, you learn about colonialism. Like mm-hmm. you learn about how it affected uh the wealthy Chinese immigrants who who've how they value British culture above all else. And how that has been passed down through right. the generations. I mean, Eleanor refuses to eat congee. 
when she's in China yeah, yeah. for breakfast. I'm like, what? <laughs> You're not really Chinese. <laughs> um, and, it, and it does like educate uh, Westerners who are unfamiliar with like the the hierarchy of of Asians and like the prejudices. Yeah. So like I feel like this this might be a good book for <laughs> this might be a good a good book for white people. I mean, it is. It's, it is empirically. It is. it is like like even Kevin Kwan himself said his biggest audience has turned out to be white yeah. women, right? And it is a very like it's. It's not a trashy read. I wouldn't call it that. Because no, no, there it's not trashy. There isn't like you know, like I wish it was more trashy, but like there um, isn't like like a three chapter long sex scene. Like <laughs> I think beach read is the right word, meaning that it's kind of light and fluffy, right? It's something that you don't have to like. Yeah, and like that doesn't mean that it's not literature because I yeah. think even beach reads and like very fluffy romance yeah. novels, they are like serious pieces of work. <laughs> it's it just like you're supposed to have fun with it. I yeah. don't think you're supposed to like go into a deep dive of like but, analyzing the the um, the economics of yeah. Singapore. But this is a book club, so that's what we do. I mean, yeah, this is our um, jobs. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like. I am interested in what happens to the characters, so I will read the second and third books because apparently the second book doesn't resolve much about Rachel. Apparently. The second book, like, there's a lot more character mm. arc jumping, and to me, like, it it didn't really it didn't really answer a lot of my questions, uh. and like, I feel like I have to read the third book for like for like that conclusion. Right. So I want to ask you about your thoughts between book wedding and movie wedding. I remember when I watched the movie wedding um, and it was like an early screener and we're supposed to like give notes and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I said the wedding scene was too long (laughs) and a little bit too sappy, but apparently a lot of people cried during the wedding scene. So in in the movie, right? In the movie. I've seen two different, very distinct reactions um, some people, some theaters were silent and really like taking it all in and getting emotional, mm-hmm. and other theaters just burst out laughing. And I think that is pretty much it's pretty much been a fifty fifty split on those two reactions. The second time I went to go see it, I went with my white friends, mm-hmm. and uh, one of them was like tearing up at the wedding scene. It's <laughs> like, oh, it's true love, and I'm just like, maybe I have like a black heart because no. See, I- here, here's the thing, like. It's not the wedding itself because it's of the ridiculous. It's the looks between Colin, Araminta, and Nick and Rachel that are like very well done. The wedding itself is ridiculous, and I think in the in the book though, like like the wedding is ten times more ridiculous because you because <laughs> you have like the reception. The, you have like yeah, you have the Cirque reception. Soleil yeah, Cirque du Soleil. Yeah, and like the the food is just so weird. Like. Like the, just like the over the topness of of the book wedding, like I actually laughed a lot during the book wedding scenes in in the book. So I was just like, I was like, are they getting married in in Disneyland or something? <laughs> this is like so ridiculous. Yeah, and it like brought like a smile to my face because I'm like only like <laughs> <laughs> only like deliriously rich people would be able to like. Spend because everyone's like spend forty million dollars yeah. on, and then there's like that one scene where 
like Araminta is walking down the aisle and she's like, I wonder what dress uh, Ashit is wearing. And then she notices that Ashit wore the same dress yeah. to like a different wedding. She's like, that bitch. Yeah. She couldn't even bother to wear like a new dress for me. And then at the <laughs> and then at the reception ball, like she's just like, oh, I, I can't wait for the couture gown because everybody's like dressed yeah. in like couture. And and like Ashit shows up in like in like a vintage. A yeah. Right. And and like, Araminta's like, I cannot believe she didn't like, like. Why did, why did I even have? Yeah, this why did I even have this wedding? And I thought that was so funny because it like, like it just pretty much summarizes like what the wedding was. Like the wedding wasn't for Colin Koo and Araminta. It was just for their family to show off how wealthy they are, yeah. and it was just all about image, which is pretty much what all of these families are about. It's all about like this power play of yeah. who's better and. And and they do it in different ways too. Like like uh, the young family, they're always complaining about their poverty. Like who's <laughs> who's like who's poor? Whose fam? Whose children are like not living up to the name? And like it's just like humble bragging in that family. And then you have like other families that are like, let's spend all of the money yeah. to like show off that we are better than everybody else. And well, those are typically typically the new money families, right? Which is like, Araminta's family. Araminta's family. And Paik Lin's family. Oh yeah, Paik Lin. Via I forgot to t- Dioro. <laughs> like, we forgot to talk about Paik Lin. I, I I don't know how I felt about her and her father's role in the story being like Lord Dumps, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. V- very much of them like like going out and seeking information. Yeah, I I did prefer Aquafina <laughs> and Ken Jung's performances as uh as those characters. But I did like how it filled in her family more because. In the book, the two twin girls are actually her brother's children. Yeah. But then in in the movie, she doesn't have an older brother, right? No. So those are her sisters then? Or I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. But I, like Paik Lin, I did like her in the book. I yeah. thought I thought she was like, despite being like super rich, she was down to earth. And um, well, she was characterized as someone very competent, right? She was like business development. Yeah. She's the smartest the, of, yeah, of, of like of the family of the family. Yeah. Uh, 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 we uh, do have some good reads uh, comments in our forums. Um, we have Danielle who asked about our thoughts about the asteroid changes in the book. Mm-hmm. I think we covered that earlier. Mariko reads that. Have you read the articles that Kevin Kwan is wanted in Singapore for draft evasion? That yeah, I've I've seen articles, and uh, I know Singapore readjusted their punishments last year, so mm-hmm. I think they are stricter this time around, and they are really buckling down on uh, draft evaders. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that is. I Kevin Kwan has not released a statement on that, <laughs> so we we won't know his side of the story until it comes out. I mean, I believe it. I had some friends who who were like three years older than me, two years older than me, because they had to serve in the military before they went to university abroad. So I know that, like, that is a thing that you have to do <laughs> in order to, like, get an exit visa. In our book discussion thread, David, um, who is a, a booktuber, posted his review of the book. He called it the perfect summer read. Um, and he was very much in the camp that this is a romance novel. <laughs> I agree. I agree. <laughs> Um, says very plot lines, Mean Girls aesthetic, a will they won't they plot that snakes over three large books, so it's the best romance novel. Was there a will they won't they won't they plot though? I feel like it was a will they 
when will they? Yeah, yeah. I think it was <laughs> more of like, when will they? Yeah. I don't think it was ever seriously in doubt. There was like some tension, but it was, I feel like the stakes of the romance wasn't big. Mm-hmm. I guess if there was a major critique for me, it was just like the, the main characters just weren't, I will not even say interesting enough, like active enough, I guess. Like, um, yeah, like they, I, I felt like there, there wasn't enough action from the characters yeah. and I felt like, um, Rachel, like she, like, I feel like Rachel in the book, things were happening to her. And yeah. whereas like in the movie, like things were still happening to her, but like, I felt like there was more of a bigger but reaction was, yeah. to it. I feel like, and yeah, this is where I will say that I did enjoy the movie more I enjoyed reading the book, but I enjoyed the movie more for how it centered the action on Rachel. And maybe that's the benefit of it being a movie. And I kind of wish this was actually turned into a TV series where you can like spend time on different storylines and build, you know, a build more perspectives. But in terms of the movie, like what I liked is Rachel takes ownership of her agents. Like the climax isn't Rachel is saved because Nick flies her mom out. The The climax is her confrontation directly with Eleanor. Yeah, that Mahjong scene. Yeah. That is like one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Which the book was missing. And I'm kind of, I'm, I'm really glad that they added that in. Yeah, I'm, I like really love that line when she's just like, so when you're like with your grandkids and mm-hmm. you know, you're just hanging yeah. out in your garden, just remember that that happened because of me. <laughs> like, <laughs> it happened because of this poor immigrant yeah. American girl. So, peace out. Like, I really, really like that scene. And I also really love the scene where, like, the, the proposal yeah. where, like, he opens the ring, like, opens the ring box and it's, it's Eleanor's, Eleanor's ring. ring. And th- that was a plot point that was added in. It wasn't in the book. And it also, like, I mean, it's telegraphed a mile away, but it's still very, like, it's Eleanor accepting Rachel for a reason that I can get behind. Yeah. Because, like, in the book, it, like, briefly mentions how, um, like, Eleanor says, like, I know how it feels to be the daughter who will never be good enough for Mm -hmm. the family. Like, I'm from a Sung family, and I was, like, you know, I'm from a rich family, and I was still not good enough. Yeah. So, like... It was there in the book. But... She talked about all her sacrifices, which in the book just it, it rang a little false based on her actions throughout the book. And her thoughts too, because yeah. you read her inner thoughts. Yeah. Whereas in the movie, like there's that scene on the staircase where she like straight up tells Rachel, You will never be good enough. Yeah. Where she lays out like, This is why I think you'll never be good enough, which you never get yeah. in the book. I mean like like I, I like that confrontation scene because um because like rachel says oh you don't approve of me because i don't i didn't go to a fancy boarding school Mm -hmm. and i i come from a poor family and eleanor's response is no because you're american like you only care about like pursuing your passion it's like you don't know how much sweat and blood and tears went into building this family and and the success so Mm -hmm. like obviously you're not like you're, since you since you don't understand that, then there's no way you can continue the legacy yeah. of of what we built. So, yeah, like I felt like the book was missing that. But this is a great thing about adaptations. You, <laughs> yeah. like you have a second chance, right? Yeah. Um, I did like the. Um, <laughs> so um, this is the last thing I'll say about movie versus book. But so in the movie, there's the scene where. 
Eleanor confronts Rachel on the staircase, and Eleanor explaining how she wasn't the first choice or the second choice that Philip married her out of love, and that her mother-in-law didn't accept her. And Rachel goes, "But she came around, right?" And Eleanor shoots her a look. <laughs> um, in the book, it's Rachel that shoots Nick that look when Nick tells her, "But my family loves you," <laughs> and she's like, "Are you kidding me?" It's like, oh, Nick, you dense piece of, you're a teddy bear filled with bricks, just some stuffed with cement. Yeah. Oh, God. I, I'm just, I said it before, I'm just so glad that Henry Golding played Nick. Yeah. Because, yeah, Nick really came off as like a Disney prince in, in my eyes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like charming, suave, good looking. Not much else. The <laughs> like, professor of history. So, what does that say about liberal arts professors? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I know like he's a history professor, but he certainly did not act like a history professor. Mm. I like forgot about that most of the time. I'm just like, oh right, like he teaches history. Huh? <laughs> um, and on that note, I think. Um, I think that'll do it for our discussion of Crazy Rich Asians by Kevin Kwan. If you have anything to add to anything we have said or have any thoughts of your own to add, um, please let us know on our Goodreads forums. Um, You can find the Goodreads Books and Boba group by going to goodreads.com and searching Books and Boba. Um, Definitely looking forward to what you all think about both the book and the movie. Yes, and our September book club pick is Number One Chinese Restaurant by Lillian Lee. I'm so excited to read this. I've been this excited. was yeah. actually Marvin's pick. <laughs> Marvin really wanted to read this book, and I said, okay, because we haven't really read a new book uh, this year. Most <laughs> of it has been paperback. Yeah. So... And it's about a restaurant I'm pretty sure... It is based on a restaurant I'm pretty sure I've been to while I was in D.C., so I'm pretty excited to to check it out. Um, Yeah, that's your book for September. We'll be talking about that at the end of the month, so please join in. Um, And that'll do it for this episode of Books and Boba. Reba, thanks a lot for sharing your thoughts. We had many of them on this book. Uh, Maybe sometime in the future we'll do a follow-up once we finish reading the trilogy. Maybe we can... Yeah. talk about that uh, coming up next week we'll be sharing um, Reba's discussion with book club members Catherine and Alice Fan Cheng about the movie adaptation of To All the Boys I've Loved Before so watch out for that um, thanks a lot for listening to Books and Boba you can subscribe to us on Apple Google Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts um, thanks to the Potluck Podcast Collective uh, for letting us be a part of their group uh, the collective is a group of asian american hosted podcasts featuring unique voices and stories from our community uh, if you want to listen to more discussion about asian august um please check out the latest episode of they call us bruce um like we mentioned the latest episode is a live interview with john cho the star of searching um that they recorded after a live screening um definitely check that out it's a great conversation and john cho is super super charismatic charismatic reflective and he's just all around great dude this podcast was also recorded at the Potluck Podcast Studio located within the Office of Visual Communications. Uh, Visual Communications, of course, is the awesome organization uh, that supports Asian American film and media artists. Um, they're the awesome people behind the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival and programs such as the Arm of the Camera Fellowship. Um, and speaking of the LA Film Festival, if you do have 
a short film or a feature film that you'd like to submit to an awesome Asian American Film Festival, um, VC is currently taking submissions for the 2019 edition of the Los Angeles Asian Pacific Film Festival. So uh, get your films in. And on that note, keep reading. Yeah, thanks. Bye.